Welcome to Movium, a podcast where I speak of films, TV shows, video games, books at some point, and on and on and on. And today's episode, I'll be focusing on, well, this is this might not be a very favorable one, but I'll be focusing on the ignored humanity of the Amazing Spider-Man films. Now, these films are, for the most part, disliked. For the most part, they get a lot of hatred. Be- for multiple reasons, some are legit and critical and actually well-founded reasons. Some are biased because it's a reboot of one of the most fit- beloved franchises or at least uh, portrayals of Spider-Man ever. And for others, it just didn't work for them, and that's fine. And so what I'm going to talk about here is I'm not going to talk about the quality of these two films because that is debatable. Personally, I thought the first one was good. I really liked the first one. I thought the second one had redeemable, redeemable qualities and redeemable aspects, but for the most part, it failed in some aspects, absolutely. I never thought these two reached the level of the, the first Spider-Man trilogy. However, I think that something about these two films that they had so well that no other Spider-Man portrayal ever had, and that is grounded contemporary humanity. And what I mean by that is... It's not as black and white as it was showcased in the original trilogy. You know, you had Peter was a student, then you had the high school bully, and then the high school bully gets what he deserves, and that's it. And that's such an easy thing to do because it's a trope that's been done in sitcoms and movies and God knows what else. So you open up this film and you already see a different Peter Parker. It's not a nerdy Peter Parker. It's not a loner. I mean, he's a loner, but it's not a nerdy Peter Parker. And it's not a closeted one. No, it's actually kind of moody, kind of lonely, kind of, you know, like uh, has an issue with the world. Peter, it's a very different Peter. And he gets bullied often in school by this guy named Flash Thompson. And what's interesting about this Peter, I think, is that all his motivations are selfish in this film, except the last 20 minutes, maybe. And that's very interesting. You know, he gets into a fight with his uncle, which leads to the iconic Uncle Ben Death. I won't get into that. But what's interesting about this Peter is that, whereas the other was the original Peter with Tobey Maguire, is that, yes, after Uncle Ben dies, Peter decides to go with vengeance, but it's like five minutes. And then he decides to be a hero and accept the responsibility and realizes he can do good. This one, however, spent a great chunk of the film where he's selfish. He's driven by his own needs and his own desires. He's using Spider-Man as a way to get to his needs and what he wants. He's not using Spider-Man to be a hero for the greater good. He's using Spider-Man to get to a desire, a greedy desire, and that's revenge. So he starts basically... He starts basically going after the criminal who killed uh, Uncle Ben, but he goes after his gang. He tries to find him. And slowly and slowly, he tries to find them all. And with every person he finds, he looks for a certain tattoo so he can find, so he can obviously find the criminal. And he gets into a conflict with the policeman afterwards, and 
the policeman is seeing him terrorize a yeah criminal a thug but the policeman is just seeing him terrorize him and spider-man's motivation here or at least peter before he becomes spider-man starts telling him i'm the one who's doing your job what's wrong with you now that is fun to watch because you know if, if you're in the world we live in right and we live in now you want to insult the police as much as you can so it's fun to watch that but from a hero's perspective that's pretty damn selfish because a heroes usually are going to help the police going to associate partner up with them especially in fictitious comic book movies and this one he is literally spitting on the police force because he thinks he can do a better job than them and it's not like a lot of other heroes who are doing a great job and the police are labeling them as vigilantes or monsters in this case he genuinely believes that so there's a bit of an egocentric aspect to it and so it's very grounded in that it's, it's something possible it's something i feel like it's very real and it's something you can easily disappear into and Another big thing about this film that I like is is that there are real characters and there are real changes. So these characters all feel real to me. None of them feel too idealistic. None of them feel too outdated. They feel very real to me. Their motivations are real. Their changes are real. Their aspects are real. Like, for example, Peter Parker, after he lost Uncle Ben, he was depressed. He was angry at the school. And then his bully comes in. Peter pushes him against the locker and his bully apologizes to him and tells him it's okay. I get it. Like a bully here is showing respect, respects and kindness to a hurt, broken Peter Parker. And I think that's very real because no matter how many bullies out there, no matter how many, you know, how easy it is to disassociate a good guy from a bad guy or a bully from the victim. But this is real, I feel. I felt like this was a very real portrayal of a human being who might have bullied him because of stupid reasons or he had a chip on his shoulder or he thought that's how he can validate himself. But when it came to something that was so drastic outside of school, outside of premises, outside of the norm of what a student nerd versus a jock student uh, scenario, he decides to wish his condolences and just tell him it's okay. And I thought that was very real. And by the end of it, Flash is actually a big fan of Spider-Man. So he started out as this prototypical bully who you'd think is going to hate on the heroes and hate on Peter. He showed real improvement he showed real change and i thought that's something really beautiful and rare they don't see quite a lot in certain films like these and in terms of real characters well peter parker is very real in this film as in he is driven by his motivations and selfishness etc as i've covered that but another aspect is the captain of the police force captain stacy he made Peter promise him that he will stop seeing Gwen, that he will stop being with Gwen, his daughter, because of being Spider-Man, he endangers her. And he promised him before his death. But at the end of the movie, he breaks his promise because, well, what, you're young, you're a teenager, you are madly in love, you're, and you're here and you're, you have the whole world in your hand, so you break that promise. And then you get to the sequel, which I think is probably one of the best thing about that movie, is that he's having uh, PTSD from that incident. He's having emotional withdrawal as he starts imagining Captain Space everywhere he goes. That's his guilt now talking because he knows he broke a promise and he knows that. And that's his guilt talking. And he's not allowing his love or his confidence to win here. He's allowing his pain and loss to win, which is something I feel like is very real. It's very human. We tend to push the ones we love away once we're in a certain withdrawal center, withdrawal center where we just ignore life and we just want to you know, sleep in a dark hole. And Peter Parker's kind of doing that here. And I thought that was, that's a very real take, and I like that. I like that over 
I don't, not over, but I like that in contrast to the idealism that is presented with uh, other superheroes or mainly the previous Spider-Man portrayal, at least in the first other two movies of the previous portrayal. Now I'm going to talk about Gwen and Peter. Now, this relationship, I think, bar none, top three comic book relationships on screen I've ever seen. It felt real. The chemistry was undeniable. You can make an argument, yeah, they were dating in real life, so it adds to the chemistry, sure. But it was beautiful. Like, you felt there was a relationship there. Usually in comic movies, love interests are forced for the sake of, because, oh, because back then, and this is very true, stereotypically, they thought women are only going to go watch a superhero movie if there's a love interest, there's like a love story. They're not going to watch it for the sake of the characters, the action, the set piece, the visualization, or the themes, or the message. They're just going to watch it because there's a love interest, and that's worth it. Maybe it was true back then, but it's certainly not the case anymore. Now, the beauty of this film is that the, the relationship is real and it takes precedence. It takes center stage of, the, of both movies. Whereas the first movie, he's trying to become Spider-Man, but Gwen is kind of the tether between Peter and Spider-Man. The second movie, he is choosing to be Spider-Man over his needs to be Peter, but in reality, all he wants to be with Gwen. So there's like a bit of a contrast here, but it's actually a beautiful one. It's a very human one. It's the prototypical duty versus love, honor versus the family or whatever analogy you want to use. And I thought that was done very beautifully in both movies about really showcasing the beauty of a certain relationship and having it be centerfold, having it be really as one of the big things about this movie. Because like I said about love interest in superhero films, sometimes they feel like an afterthought. When you watch like Thor 1, you don't really care about Thor and Jane that much. When you watch, you know, uh, Doctor Strange, you don't really care about him and the uh, female, female love interest, which I really forgot her name and I feel bad because I love the, actor, the actress, Rachel McAdams. So this movie kind of highlighted that relationship. And even in the sequel, more so than the first one, because the sequel, I think that was the best thing about that film was that relationship. And how it, in the end, he fails and she dies. And that's another failure now. Because when you lose your uncle out of your own selfish needs because you stormed out and you didn't want to own up to account, you, don't want, you didn't want accountability or own up to your responsibility, so you storm out, your uncle gets killed in the process. Second movie, he breaks his promise, but then he decides to you know, retract it and break up, and she breaks up with him because he can't get over it. And then when he finally gets over it and he has the strength now to finally be Spider-Man, he's proud of it and no longer haunted and he wants to be with her and he's so in love with her and everything, and then she dies. So it's a very interesting contrast, whereas the first death was due to his own selfishness and his own childish tendencies. The second death was from maturity and acceptance and becoming a better person. She dies still. So is there a black and white answer here? Is there like a specific answer as in, oh, you did that, so that happens, or you did this, that happens? The, the, honest, the honest answer is no, because that's life. That's life. It's going to hit you no matter what. And I think this was a beautiful display in a very flawed comic book franchise. And even its biggest defenders will mention, like there are some flaws in these movies, and there's a lot of flaws in a lot of other movies. There's no denying that. Now I'm going to talk about another aspect, which I thought was great, is the father figures. Now, a lot of films have father figures, and a lot of superhero films have father figures, but it's never been, I felt, more addressed in these two films. Whereas the first movie alone, there's like three father figures. You have his actual father, 
who he remembers walking walking away from and never coming back, which which ignites the personal breakdown he has in the beginning, which allows him to storm out on his uncle, who is the second father figure, because he's the one who raised him. So he's more of a father to him than anyone. His uncle gets killed in the process because of Peter's selfishness. Then you get to the third father figure, which is actually Dr. Kurt Connors, who, who ends up becoming the lizard. Now, Kurt Connors worked with his father. So there's already like an uh, immediate display of respect towards him. There's, he immediately loves him because he sees him in a way like what his father could have been if he grew up with his father. So he sees him as a replacement and a lot of respect for him. And he has a lot of appreciation, admiration. I think that is tremendous. I think that is a wonderful thing to add when you have the hero really idolizing the villain and then the villain is the one who turns on him and i understand that's a trope that's been done maybe in even another spider-man uh, franchise i feel like it's been done over but if uh, what they did in this one however it felt very human it felt like a very desperate child who wanted to have a father so badly who wanted to have someone tell him you're good you're smart i know what you're doing we can work on this together like he desperately wanted that and I think because of that desperation, he immediately opened himself for disappointment. And I think that's very real. We're human beings. Sometimes we beg for affection. We beg for validation. And sometimes we, you know, we don't have our guard up and we get hurt by it. And then we learn our lesson. He learns his lesson tremendously in this movie. So, yeah. And now the final part I'm going to talk about here is uh, the meaning of Spider-Man in this film. Whereas in the first trilogy, Spider-Man is about great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man is about utilizing the gift to help the world whilst it's a curse for Peter. And it's a similar thing here, but how he becomes Spider-Man here is a whole different story. He became Spider-Man here out of necessity, out of, out of the need for hope, heroism, and self-fulfilling mission. He didn't become Spider-Man because he wanted to, do New, wanted to do New York a great service or he wanted to save the world. He became Spider-Man here so he can be happy, so he can help himself. Because he was so dark, he was so hurt, he was so driven by selfish motivations, and he was so angry at the world. Then he saves this kid, and he realizes that this kid had the bravery to, be, to allow himself to be saved because he was wearing the Spider-Man mask. It gave him an escape, an escape. so it was an escapism factor. And I think that's a beautiful thing to address in a, such a movie, especially with a Spider-Man film. And so after he saves him, they ask him, you know, who are you? He just says, I'm Spider-Man. And that's where he becomes Spider-Man. That's at the last 30 minutes or 40 minutes of the film. And that's very interesting because, you know, usually in Spider-Man films, he's already, he's already Spider-Man or the first 30 minutes he's Spider-Man, the first hour. This one is like the last hour he's Spider-Man. And I thought that was a beautiful transition that gets criticized quite a bit. Everyone is saying like, you know, he's barely Spider-Man, he doesn't act like Spider-Man, but I think that's the point. Because when you come off of a trilogy as successful as the original one, you cannot do the same thing again. Because if you do the same thing, you will get criticized and attacked even harder. And so that's why they had to do a much more grounded and contemporary way of telling that story and i think that's why this these two movies are flawed absolutely and they deserve a lot of critiques but at the same time i don't think these aspects should be overlooked because these aspects tell a beautiful story and the tapestry of a visual spectacle of a web slinging spider-man so yeah and that concludes this episode. It's now it's not my longest, I know that, but I just wanted to focus on these points. I wanted to focus on these aspects that I think that differentiate these two Spider-Man films from any other. 
and hopefully I've done a good job and hopefully like you like it give it a listen if not up whatever do it do your thing thank you and take care